I want to talk to you today about something very, very important. It's so important that Jesus said it was the most important thing in all the world. Nothing is more important than what we're going to talk about today. So obviously we would have to include it in a series of foundations, wouldn't we? It is the foundation of all foundations. And of course, I'm speaking about the way of love. I've titled this little talk here today, The More Excellent Way. And uh, I'm taking phraseology from the Apostle Paul, and we'll get to that in a minute. He called this way of love the more excellent way. But I want to speak to you today uh, about our great God and how much love he has. I'm, I'm drawn unashamedly to the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, I see in him a man unlike any other man that's ever lived. And uh, I, every scene that's recorded in the Bible comes alive to me. I hope it does to you too. One day he was teaching and some of the religious leaders of his day approached him to try to trap him. They tried to discredit him in the crowds of people. And so they asked him a question. They said, Master, after they used a bunch of flattery that's all false. How many of you know you can have false flattery? You know, people can flatter you and say lovely things, but in their heart something else is going on. And they said, Teacher, tell us. We know you're true and you come from God. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Should we do that? And... Uh, Listen, taxes is never a popular issue, is it? Even in our day, it's not a popular issue. But back then, it was even more serious to the Jew. Because they lived in, in a theocracy. God was their king. And uh, to pay taxes, to acknowledge that Caesar is ruler over them, was something that the people just hated. They hated having to pay taxes to Caesar. So if he answers that way and says, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, then the people are going to be upset. But if he says, no, we should not pay taxes to Caesar, then he could be guilty before the Roman government of insurrection and rebellion against the Romans. So they thought they had him with this one. The crowds are around. People are all listening. And he says, well, give me a Roman coin. And they bring to him a denarius. And he looks at it and he says, whose likeness is on this? An inscription. And they said, it's Caesar's. So Jesus said, well then, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But render to God what is God's. How do you trap God, you know? How do you trap Jesus? He's saying that coin has a stamped an image on it. It's Caesar's. So give it to him. But your life <laughs> has the image of God stamped in it. So give God your life. Give to God what belongs to him. Oh, I love the wisdom of Jesus. Then uh, another group comes in, the Sadducees, and they don't believe in the resurrection after the dead, after you're dead. And part of that is I think they just believe you're, when your number's up, your number's up. And they go through a long scenario. But the long and short of it is Jesus says, don't you remember the scriptures, how God addressed Moses at the burning bush? He identified himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all who have long since been dead <laughs> at that time. And he identified he's not the God of the dead. <laughs> he's a God of the living. You're deeply mistaken. I just... And then there's a guy, there's somebody different in the crowd that day. He's also a religious leader. He's a scholar. They are called in the scriptures scribes. He knows the scriptures. 
and he sees that Jesus is answering well and something is stirring in his heart. In Mark chapter 12, it records this. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Now this scribe knows what the most important commandment is. But he wants to hear Jesus answer. He sees that he's answering well. Will Jesus answer this one well? There's something. He's not coming with an agenda. He's honestly coming to God, to Jesus, and saying, Hey, what's the greatest commandment? I want to hear what you say. Jesus answered in verse 29 of Mark 12. The most important is, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.4 and Leviticus 19.18. Love God above everything. And love your neighbor is yourself. And the scribe says this. He hears his answer. And it says, And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. And there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself. Listen to what he says. Is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, the scribe gets it. There's nothing wrong with the sacrificial system. God established it. But if you don't have love for people, you're just keeping external rules and regulations. He says, God wants us to love him with all of our hearts, and he wants us to love one another. And that means more to him than whether we're just externally obeying a, a, a religious rules. And Jesus responds and says, he answered, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. There's only one more piece he's going to have to put together, and it hasn't happened yet. He's going to witness or know or hear about Jesus Christ dying on a cross and being raised from the dead. I wish the Bible would tell us what happened to this scribe. <laughs> but I'd like to believe, I kind of believe in my heart he's rejoicing today in heaven. I just believe that. I believe he put it all together and saw that Jesus, out of his great love, gave his life on a cross to pay their sins. Friends, the greatest commandment, and therefore the greatest foundation, is that we love God supremely and we love others as we love ourselves. And why are these the greatest commandments? Why? Because God is love. That's who he is in his essence. We're called to love him because he is love, and his love for us is relentless. You wouldn't be here today without his love reaching out to you. you just, I wouldn't be here. None of us would. Listen, when you love someone, you know this to be true. Is there anything that you won't do? to help that person, to get the best for that person, to, to protect that person. I mean, there's nothing you... I love this woman right down here, Linda. I love her. There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. I'd lay down my life for her. I love my family. Oh, and let's not talk about the grandkids. 
goodness gracious, good night. Don't you come against them. You don't think I would do anything in my power to protect my grandkids? And listen, if, if your kid, if your child or young, even a young adult, if they start getting off the path, what do you do? You try to help them. You say, no, don't do that. Don't go that way. Now, sometimes they're too immature to even see that. They say, well, you know, you're against me. You're against me. You don't know anything. You know, parents don't know anything at some stage of life, you know. They don't know anything. But that doesn't, does that stop you? Why? Because you love that person. You love that child. There's nothing that you wouldn't do for that child. That's a characteristic of love, and that's how God loves us. He's relentless. He won't give up. Push him away. He'll keep coming after you. Try to deny him. He'll say, no, I love you. I love you. Stop going that way. I love you. Listen, how are some of the ways that God is relentless in his love? Let me tell you, first of all, some of the ways that God is relentless. God, God's love led him to create you and I. The Bible says that God is eternal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God eternally existed in three persons in need of nothing. He didn't need us to be fulfilled. He didn't need to create us. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to share the gift of life. He wanted us to have life. He wanted us to know what it is to love. He wanted us to be with him and enjoy him forever. His love, know him as God. He didn't have to do that. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the separation occurred. They died immediately spiritually. They were, what was their first instinct after the sin in the garden? Hide. That's been the instinct of all of us. Let's get away. We can't, let's get away from God. We, don't, we, we know instinctively that we don't, we're sinners. But did that stop God? <laughs> no. It set into motion a plan he'd already had from eternity past to rescue us. From our sin. Remember, when you love someone, there's nothing you won't do to want the best for them, to bring them home. One of the ways he does this is something we call common grace. Theologians call it common grace. And he does this to every person. He created us with this inner longing. There's a void in our hearts for love, and it's for his love. And every person has that. You know, it doesn't matter if you deny it. If you deny God, you can say he doesn't exist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that God has put that in every human being's heart. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of people. God put it there. Every person knows there's got to be something more. There's something more beyond these few years we have on earth. And there is something more. He has placed this inner hunger in us that longs for him. And Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And our restlessness and our sinfulness has, has made us lose our way, and we start looking for that satisfaction uh, in other ways, through pleasure, through possessions, or careers, or relationships. And it's not, it's not that those things are innately bad. 
But when they are apart from God and they are above God, then they become idols. And after you chase them long enough, it's like chasing after the wind. It's supposed to be windy today. Go try to catch some. It's futile. You, you, you keep trying to find love in the wrong... That's old John, Johnny Lee sang this old song, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many places. That's it. That's what we do. But God is relentless. And he won't give up. And against this backdrop says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my own son into this world to seek and save them. John 3.16 for God so loved this world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What does perish mean? To be separated from God forever. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that for anyone. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He's a pursuing God. Doesn't it pain you when people have this hypothetical question, why would a loving God send anybody to hell? It just, I, just, I just cringe. What? The God who gave you life, put breath in your lungs, who when you deny him and ignore him and refute him, still loves you? He sent his son into this world to die for every sin that you ever have committed or will commit? Who loves you with an eternal love that says, please come to me, come to me. I want to forgive you. Please receive the gift of eternal life. Oh, how could God send, a, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? Can't you see how ridiculous that is? When all he wants to do is help us. He sent his own son. What do, you, what do you want him to do? Listen, when we're apart from God and our sinfulness up is down and down is up and white is black and black is white, you, you're not thinking right. God pursues us. He loves us. It's like looking for the one lost sheep and leaving 99, he goes out looking. It's like a, 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 a father whose son has left, a prodigal, and he's off in a distant country, squandering. That's the picture of sin, just squandering his life away. He's left the father. Do you think the father had any joy in that? I believe he got up every day, that father in, in Jesus' parable, and went to the door and just looked out. Looked out down the horizon. Is he coming over the hill today? Is he coming over the hill today? Maybe today's the day he'll come back. And when that day finally came, what did he do? In his great joy, he just ran to him. You make one move toward God, God will run to you. That's the picture of God. He's so longing to forgive you. He's so loving and gracious. And can you see that that's why we are called to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength? It's the only fitting response to this God. It's the only fitting response. And then out of that overflow of us loving God, receiving his love, then he says, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. Mark 12, 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to look at a very familiar passage for just a few moments. 
Uh, and there's, there's so much familiar today. God's going to have to help us. You've been to weddings, right? You've heard 1 Corinthians 13 read, right? You've heard it probably thousands of times. And uh, I have no great insights above it. It's, it stands alone as a, just a masterpiece. But I, wanted, I want you to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, as you're turning, I just want to give you a couple of background insights into Corinth itself. Because we want to talk about the nature of this kind of love that God wants us to have. It's really his love. And we want to talk about it together. Corinth was a port city in southern Greece. And uh, it was a Roman colony and it had a very pluralistic culture. It would be not unlike uh, one of our large cities today. New York, Chicago, Miami. It had a lot of different people in it. A lot of different ideas. A lot of different philosophies. A lot of different religions and so forth. And uh, into this diverse setting, Paul came into Corinth on his second missionary journey. It's recorded in the book of Acts. And he began sharing in Corinth the good news about Jesus Christ. And many people responded, and a church was established. And Paul actually lived there for 18 months. After he left Corinth, he went to another city called Ephesus, and he lived there for three years. And he starts to get some reports, uh, verbal reports from people coming from uh, Corinth that there's some problems with the church in Corinth. Newsflash, churches have problems. You know why? Because we're people. This church has problems because I'm in it. Don't laugh, you're in it too. Seriously, we have problems. Here's some of the things that were going on in Corinth. Not everything that was happening there is happening here, of course, but he heard there were divisions among the people. He said, I've heard reports. Uh, I, some say I follow Paul. He was the founder of the church. I follow Apollos. He was the great preacher. He was a, an orator that everybody listened to. I follow Cephas, Peter. Some say I follow Christ. So there were divisions among them on who they follow. And, and Paul addresses, we don't have time to get into this, but you can read the letter and, and they start corresponding in letters back and forth and he starts responding to them and giving them instruction about all these things. There were reports of sexual immorality. There were petty lawsuits. Christian coming against Christian before a secular court. Paul says, what are you doing? Aren't there people within the church? Can't you settle this? It's pettiness too. There was confusion over spiritual gifts, and uh, there was a tendency to elevate one spiritual gift over others. And so as Paul writes letters, 1 Corinthians is just one of the letters. Paul, we have a, biblical scholars think there's actually a letter that was lost, uh, a letter before 1 Corinthians. But First and Second Corinthians both address these issues. And it's in that context that when he gets to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, or at the end of uh, actually chapter 12, he says, Paul says this, I I will show you a still more excellent way. There's a better way than being divided. There's a better way than having petty disputes. There's a better way than getting all puffed up about your spiritual gift. There's a better way. And then he launches into these beautiful, beautiful words. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, uh, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels... But have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In these opening verses, Paul says there's three areas of which he's referring to. First of all, if I speak, he's talking about what a Christian says. If the words of my mouth, however eloquent they may be, however eloquent this sermon is or isn't, it doesn't matter if I don't have love. It doesn't matter if I don't speak them out of love for God and love for you, love for his word. He says it's like a noisy gong. I thought about having the symbol up here and just going like this, but I didn't think you'd like that. <laughs> the motive of our speech must be love. What is the tone or the atmosphere of your words on social media? What is the tone of your speech to one another? What motives do you have in your heart toward another when you speak to them? When I speak to them? See, it, it doesn't matter even if there's truth. Listen to me. Your words could be true. But if they're not in love, it's like the teacher in Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. Nobody hears. Nobody listens. Now, is it a guarantee if you do speak the truth in love that somebody will hear? Not necessarily. But that's on them. You need to speak truth, but speak it in love. Then he talks about what a Christian knows. He says, if I understand, if I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries and knowledge. If I have all faith, what a Christian knows and what a Christian believes it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, how much faith you have. If that faith, if that knowledge does not lead you to love God more and love others as well, it's nothing. The Pharisees knew the Bible. They knew it well. But did they love people? No. And lastly, he says what a Christian does has to be done in love. He says Acts of sacrificial giving. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I am nothing. Even sacrificial giving, even martyrdom, without the motive of love, doesn't count with God. God, in fact, Jesus warned us, he said, beware of doing your righteousness before people to be seen by them. See, it's a different motive. If I'm up here putting on a show for you, God knows. He knows. He knows everything. He knows, what he knows why you're here today. He knows what motivates us. And if it's not love, he knows. It means nothing. Paul goes on to give some characteristics of love. Look at the next section. It says, love is patient and kind. Oh, how patient God has been with us. How kind he's been. You know the Greek word for patience, you don't know. I didn't know either. I had to look it up, okay. But the Greek word for patience actually means slow to boil. 
It's, it, it has the picture of, you know, when I, put, when I make a cup of tea, I like to put the burner on high because I don't want to wait forever for the water to boil. Can you imagine how long it would take if I put the burner on simmer? I think maybe it would, I think it would boil, but it's going to be a long time. That's the word for patience. Turn the fire down. It turns the fire down. It waits. It listens. Takes some, God does that with us all the time. And that's what love does. It's patient. What about kindness? Just common courtesy in this world. Any of you that work in the public probably have realized that uh, we can be terribly uh, rude. But that's the next one. Well, not quite. But love does not envy or boast. Envy is a terrible thing. Envy cannot rejoice with uh, what somebody else has or who they are, uh, especially if they have something that you want and you don't have it. We envy that. We look down on another person. But that's not love. We don't boast. Love is humble. Love is not arrogant. Arrogance, that, that just exalts ourselves above another. Love is not rude. It does not, you know, it... It, it does not lack graciousness. Love is courteous. Love does not insist on its own way, Paul says. That's, that's simply self-centeredness. You know, love enriches relationships, but selfishness erodes relationships, doesn't it? If somebody's selfish in a relationship, it just erodes that relationship. But shared love enriches it. Love is not irritable. Touchy, quick-tempered, easily angered. In our flesh, we are easily angered. I'm surprised at how quick I can go from here to here. So you think I smile all the time. There's a place for righteous anger. Okay? But there's this anger that festers against another, and you just won't let it go, and you won't let it go. It keeps stewing in you. No, love isn't that way. Love is not resentful. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Aren't you thankful the Bible says that when we confess our sins, he forgives our sins, and God says, I will remember your sins no more? Does that mean he he totally forgets that they ever happened? Of course not. But what it means is, I will not hold that against you again. I will not bring that up again. You're forgiven of that sin, okay? He knows it's there. I got to tell you a funny story. Uh, Linda's brother, Jimmy, who had Down syndrome. I know most of you know this. I talk about Jimmy a lot, but it's one of the ways that I can remember him. Uh, I was dating uh, Linda in high school, and we were doing something called, back in those days, it was called going steady. I don't know. I know I'm dating myself, but back then it was called going steady. So I had, uh, Linda and I were developing in our relationship, and I'd given her my class ring. Okay. Now, uh, just call it a moment of temporary insanity, whatever it was. I thought I needed to break up with Linda, so I'd come over her house, and I, we talked, and she gave me back the ring, and I left. Well, her brother Jimmy, who has Down syndrome, never forgave me. <laughs> I think he did, but he always brought it up. I know how this conversation would start. It always started this way. One day, oh, you hear one day. I know where we're going. (laughs) One day, you come over, you take my sister's ring, and you left. 
I said, yeah, Jimmy, but I saw the error of my ways. I came back and I, I apologized and here we are. We've been married 20 years. <laughs> he said, <"Huh." laughs> Now, I think he liked bringing it up just, he, he, he saw the fun in it too. But in, the, in some places, whenever he said, one day, I knew it was coming. He never let me forget that mistake. Hey, that's kind of a funny story, but it's really painful. When we as Christians keep bringing up some, our, the past sins of others, even if we say we've forgiven them, and we keep bringing up our faults and failures. Love doesn't do that. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This is important. Love, God loves us enough to tell us the truth. Okay? He loves us enough to tell us the truth about our sins. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, listen, all have uh, fallen short of God. All have missed the mark. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's in his word. I've sinned. You've sinned. It's silly to, to say to God, oh, don't talk to me about sin, you know. Or, or some people will say, that's truth for you. That's not truth for me. Come on, we know better than that. It's either truth or it's not truth. And God loves us enough to tell us the truth. That we need him. But, he, but listen, why does he do it? We already read it. Does he do it to condemn us? To tell us what dirty, rotten people we are? No. He confronts us with the truth because he loves us. He says, I, I want to forgive you. I have something better for you. Leave that, you know? Love, and here's another thing. Love will never attempt to prompt someone to do wrong. Young person, I think this is important for you. This is important when, if somebody has a conviction, let's say that young couple's out and the, the guy's getting a little too friendly. And he says, well, I just love you. I just love you. I just... No, he loves your body. Because love would never prompt you to, to do something that is not right. Love rejoices with the truth. It does not rejoice with the wrong. So know that for what it is. Love, and then this, these last phrases, I'll go quickly. Love bears all things. Oh, Paul is a master writer. Listen, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus, think of what he bore for us. Love bears all things. He never committed a sin in his life. And he bore on the tree everybody's sins. In the whole world, for all time. Think of what he bore, what his love caused him to bear. It's a willingness, love is a, has a willingness to take on the burdens of others. It believes all things. It's faith-filled, it's optimistic, it sees the best in someone else. It hopes all things, it holds on to the promises of God. It longs for the best in others. It endures all things. In other words, it doesn't run. It doesn't cut and run when there's trouble. He hangs in there. And to the very, his very dying breath, his lips were swollen on the cross. And out of those swollen lips, he said, it is finished. He endured it to the very end for you and for me. And love, Paul says, never ends. He says the greatest three things are faith, hope, and love. These three abide, he says, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Faith's going to be realized someday. You won't need faith someday. 
You'll be in the presence of God. Hope is going to be realized as well. You won't have to hope for anything in heaven. You'll be in heaven. But love, it's going to endure forever. I want to close with this story. I uh, was deeply moved. Uh, I heard a, a story. I actually heard it years ago, but I th- it came to my mind and as I was preparing this today. It's about Jim Cimbala, who is, uh, pastors a church in Brooklyn, New York. He said years ago, um, he had an encounter with a, a person at the end of the Easter services. There had been multiple services. And at the end of the very last service during the song, he started to see, Linda, can you get me that box of Kleenex? I'm such a blubberhead. <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. He was at the end of the service and he saw this disheveled man coming down the center aisle. And his initial thought was this, oh great. Somebody's going to come and hit me up for some money. He said it happened all the time there. People would come into the church panhandling and uh, wanting people to give them money. They had a policy in the church. They never gave out money because they knew if they gave out money, uh, most likely that was just going to be spent on drugs or alcohol or whatever. So this person is approaching, and that's kind of the attitude he had in his heart. But, you know, in his heart he said, you know what? I'm too tired. I'm just going to give him some money. If he comes up here, I'll just give him some money. So he continued to come, and as he got close to, to Pastor Simbola, there was a stench coming from him. It was a mixture of feces and urine and sweat and alcohol. He said it was so bad that he had to turn his head to inhale. He asked, Pastor Simbola asked him some perfunctory questions, you know, or, you know, do you have, are you in a shelter? And no, no, I almost got killed in one of those. They're too dangerous. I was out on the street, just outside your church. I heard the music. I decided to come in. Found out his name was David. And so Pastor Simbola said, okay, David, let me got here. He pulled out some money, started to hand it to him. David pushed it away. He said, I don't want your money. I'm dying out there. I want this Jesus you're talking about. And in that moment, Pastor Simba says, something broke in me. A deep conviction came over him, he said, of his own lack of love. He actually prayed in that very moment before he could talk anymore with David. He said, oh God, please forgive me. What have I become? You sent me someone who is seeking you and I want to give him a few dollars and send them away. God, please forgive me. Pastor Simbola says a fresh love came over him. 
And he embraced David. And David embraced him. And he said, there we were, crying together. He said, here I was, a pastor in need of God, hugging a street person in need of God. And he said, I don't even know whose need was greater in that moment. Pastor Simbola received a fresh outpouring of God's love and David received forgiveness for his sins and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Pastor Simbola sensed that God was saying to him in that moment, you see that smell? If you don't love that smell, I can never use you. Because the whole world Smells that way to me. All the filthy, stinking sin of mankind, I sent my son to die for that smell. So you either have to embrace that smell and love people in my name, or I can't use you. Go ahead, have your services. But I can't use you. Because there's no love. The church helped David through detox and eventually hired him to their facilities team. <laughs> I've actually heard David Ruffin's testimony, a video of it, and uh, he's become a wonderful man of God. <laughs> Listen, this whole thing is about love. It's not the order of service. It's not which songs we sing, whether you like them, you don't like them. It's not about who's preaching. It's not any of that. It's about love. And uh, we need a fresh outpouring of God's love. We have to realize how much he loves us. And then love him in return. And love others. And we need help from the Holy Spirit. And God provides a vehicle for all people. It's called repentance. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. This could be for people outside the church. It can be for people in the church. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon because God's great plan is that you and I are to be conformed to the image of his son. And his son is love as God is love. And he's going to keep working on us, guys. He's not going to let us stay where we're at. He's not going to let you hold on to bitterness against someone. He's just not. You're going to be miserable. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Let me fill you with my love. Seek me for forgiveness. Worship team, would you come? We're going to sing just a very simple song and respond to this. We need the filling of God's Holy Spirit, don't we? Uh, I just confess to you, as honestly I can, that I need more of his love. And I need to love more. I just do. But all I'm saying is I need more of God. Without him, I can't love. Why don't we stand together and uh, just respond to God?
think the worship team heard me, but that's okay. It's a very simple song. If you recognize your need today, would you simply ask God, Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on me? If you say in your heart, what have I become? Such lack of love or peace. God, come and fill me. See, very simple moments, but times we can reach out to God. Let's sing this song. you for your great love for us no one has loved us like you've loved us no one has bore up under more put up with more been more patient been more forgiving than you God we love you today we ask for grace in our lives 
that love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. We can't do it without you. So fill us with your spirit. Lord, I pray that even this day, resentments toward others would be let go. That a fresh anointing and filling of your spirit and love among us would reign and rule. Oh God, help us to see our need, not just the needs that are in other people. Help us to see our spiritual lack. Help our speech to be seasoned with love. May the things that we know about you lead us to greater love for you and for others. And may the things that we do be motivated out of that love. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Let's keep serving our God. Let's keep loving. Thank you for coming.